Hey guys, welcome back to Broken Journey, the podcast. This is episode two of my part two series on Mental Health Awareness Month. And if you have not heard part one, I suggest you go and listen to that one first so that you can get the information that is needed to listen to part two, right? And so in part one, I talk about what is mental health conditions or illnesses. I do give you some statistics, a list of 12 mental health conditions, and then I zero in on four. And in part one, I have ADHD, which is also known as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and Depression. And so in this series, I'm going to be talking about anxiety disorder and eating disorders. And I got all my information from National Alliance on Mental Illness. And you can go onto the website at www.nami.org. Again, that's www.nami.org. Anxiety disorders are a group of related conditions, each having unique symptoms. However, all anxiety disorders have one thing in common. Persistence, excessive fear, or worry in situations that are not threatening. People typically experience one or more of the following symptoms. Emotional symptoms or physical symptoms or they can be experiencing both, right? And it kind of depends on the person. So, a list of emotional symptoms. Feelings of apprehension or dread. Feeling tense or jumpy. Restlessness or irritability. Anticipating the worst and being watchful for signs of danger. Then there is the physical symptoms, pounding or racing heart and shortness of breath, sweating, tremors, twitches, headaches, fatigue or insomnia, upset stomach, frequent urination or diarrhea. So when it comes to anxiety disorder, how do we know if it's really a disorder? Let's say, for example, you know, speaking in front of a large group. You know, we can get anxious about that, you know, because we want to make sure that we're giving the right information or, you know, we need to prepare and practice for it so that we don't mess up, right? And a lot of the times we know we messed up, but the crowd doesn't, right? Because when you're speaking on a topic, you know exactly what you want to say. And yeah, maybe you mix something up by mistake, you know, um, but it's still the right information. Don't get me wrong. It's still the right information, but you, let's say you said it backwards. Let's say, um, for instance, if I'm in a skincare class and I tell them that they need to put their CC cream, let's say I'm in a skincare class and I'm talking to somebody about you know, their skincare. And I tell them that they have to put their serum 
after their moisturizer, which is, you know, not correct. However, it's not going to damage anything if they put their moisturizer before their CC cream, right? And then you obviously, you know, kind of correct it at the moment and tell them, hey, no, sorry. What I meant is you need to put your, your serum before you put your moisturizer. That is the best effective way to help your skin. So that's just an example so that you can know, you know, what I'm talking about when it comes to you getting a little bit um, anxious when speaking in front of a group, right? Um, however, when feelings are very intense with fear, distress, and being overwhelmed, that's when anxiety disorder comes in. And then, you know, you have to get some assistance for it, right? Um, because it can get to the point where when I'm looking at the emotional symptoms, it can get to the point where you're feeling so restless and irritable and all this other stuff that it can also feel like you can't breathe, right? And if anybody who has experienced anxiety knows that it can get to the point where you're even feeling with the with the physical symptoms, you're feeling like you're going to catch a heart attack, right? Because it, it gets so intense. So you want to try your best to not focus so much on certain things that you know are going to trigger your anxiety. Let's say, for example, social media and COVID. I know we are probably all tired of COVID, listening to COVID, um, you know, all these new things that are coming out with COVID, you know, we're just over it. We feel trapped. We feel like things are not going to get any better. And social media doesn't help either, right? Because when, because when you go into social media, there are certain things that are good about social media and certain things that are not. For example, you go into social media and you know you have a friend that you've known for so many years and they're getting married and they announce that they're engaged and things like that. And those are exciting times, right? And you're like, oh my God, I'm so happy for you. Or, you know, the person's child graduated or they had a grandchild or things like that. You know, those are exciting moments that a lot of the times, if we didn't have social media, we probably wouldn't know about it unless they called us, right? <laughs> so those are good things about, you know, social media. But then you have the bad side of social media where you're seeing all these killings, where you're seeing all these people being depressed behind having to be locked down. Poor Karen. Her name has been... um how do you say this has been dragged through the ground <laughs> because people are acting crazy and you know it's to the point where they're not thinking about consequences behind their actions they're just acting up and you just don't even know what to do 
And you say to yourself, what was in that person's mind? And then you have the bad part of social media where you're seeing, you know, these mass shootings. You're seeing, you know, people acting like Karens. The poor Karen, the poor name. <laughs> it is being dragged all over the place. Anybody who acts up is is Karen, right? Um, but, you know, when you look at these things, you say to yourself, my God, what is going on? And it's because people are not thinking before acting. They are just acting on things. And with everything that's going on in this world, with the COVID, with being stuck at home, with politics, with this, with that, it can get crazy. And it can get to the point where you're looking through and scrolling through social media and seeing all these crazy things that can give you anxiety, right? It can give you anxiety to the point where you're like, oh my God, what if I go outside and I go to the store and somebody acts crazy? Or for instance, the Buffalo shooting where they went to the supermarket. The, going to the supermarket can can be you know scary now because you don't know somebody's gonna act up and start shooting just because you know they feel like you know they they want to just shoot people just for the fuck of it right and forgive me for cursing but it's it's ridiculous so people who have anxiety will probably worry about those things before they go outside and maybe not even want to go outside, right? So I also got information on this website with uh, different anxiety disorders and the different symptoms that they have. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. And here it is. It's generalized anxiety disorder, which they abbreviated by GAD, G A. D. It produces chronic, exaggerated worry about everyday life. That was just what I was just talking about. <laughs> Going to the supermarket and being worried because you don't know, you know, what's going to happen, right? Or you're thinking something is going to happen because, you know, you got to go out to the grocery store. This worrying can consume hours each day. Uh, making it hard to concentrate or finish daily tasks. A person with generalized anxiety disorder may become exhausted by worry and experience headaches, tension, and nausea. Now we have social anxiety disorder. It's more than shyness. This disorder causes intense fear about social interacting, often driven by irrational worries about humiliation. Someone with social anxiety disorder may not take part in conversations, contribute to class discussions, or offer their ideas, and may be isolated. Panic attacks are common reactions to anticipated or forced social interaction. So when it comes to social anxiety disorder, people feel that they're going to be picked on, they're going to be obviously, like I said before, humiliated. 
Um, they're going to feel stupid if they say something and then they laugh at them. So these are some of the things that are with social anxiety disorder. And then we have panic disorder. This disorder is characterized by panic attacks and sudden feeling of terror, sometimes striking repeatedly and without warning. Many people will go to desperate measures to avoid an attack, including social isolation. So when you look at this, the main characteristics here is people isolating themselves because of either social anxiety or feeling humiliated or worrying to the point that they just say, well, let me just stay home and I will avoid all that situation, right? So when we're looking at anxiety disorders, there's also the phobias that contribute to this as well, right? We all tend to avoid, you know, certain things and situations that make us uncomfortable or even fearful. But um, for some, for someone with a phobia, certain places, events, or objects create powerful situations of stress, uh, irrational fear as well. So when we're looking at anxiety disorders, there's also the phobias. You know, we all tend to avoid certain things or situations that make us uncomfortable or even fearful, right? Uh, but for someone with a phobia, certain places, events, or objects create powerful reactions to a strong, irrational fear. Um, you know, most people with specific phobias have several things that can trigger those reactions to, you know, to their panic attacks, right? And so they will try to avoid those things so that it doesn't trigger those anxieties and you know sometimes people wonder if an anxiety disorder is really real when it comes to anxiety disorders scientists believe that many factors combine to cause anxiety disorders one is genetics study supports the evidence that anxiety disorder runs in families as some families have higher than average amount of anxiety disorders among relatives. And then there's environment. A stressful or traumatic event such as abuse, death of a loved one, violence, or prolonged illness is often linked to developing of anxiety disorders. So what are some treatments? Some are psychotherapy, including cognitive behavior therapy, medications, including anti-anxiety medications and antidepressants. And then there's complementary health approaches, including stress and relaxation techniques. You know, when it comes to complementary health approaches, there, there are probably techniques that can help you, such as yoga, meditation, and things like that that does not include medication, right? Because if you're having one of those panic attacks, that medication is not gonna work right away, right? So you need to be able to use a technique that is gonna help you to relax. So let me give an example, right? Um, 
if you have been to a lab to get an MRI, we all know that you have to be lifted into this circle and basically your face is almost touching the top of that circle, right? That inner machine that it's huge. So one time, I, I usually don't have a problem with going into the MRI machine and I always think about something good. I think like I'm on the beach or something like that. But for some reason, one time I went <laughs> to get an MRI done for my back. And when I was getting into the machine, I was fine. Then all of a sudden the girl lifts me up to, I guess, to a point where I needed to be. But it was so close to the top of the MRI machine that I felt my my own breath coming back at me, right? And I was like, what the hell? And I started to panic. Like I literally felt like I was in a coffin. Like someone just closed me, uh, put me in a coffin and closed the damn door to the coffin. If that's even like a close the door or whatever, close the lid, right? And I was having a full-blown attack. So I raised my hand so that she can bring me back down. And then she pulled me out of the machine. And she says, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. I said, give me two minutes to gather my thoughts so that you can put me back in, you know, into the machine. So I said, I don't know if you put me way too high and I was too close to the top of the MRI. I said, but if possible, if you can bring me down just a little bit um, so that I'm not, you know, having a panic attack. I said, I've, I've never experienced a panic attack before. I've been a little nervous, yes, but not to the point where I was feeling like I couldn't breathe. And so she did that and while she did that obviously they give you headphones but the machine is so damn loud what was the whole purpose of the headphones and the music there was no music so why did you give me headphones again <laughs> but anyway um you know i was freaking out so when i went in the second time what i started to say to myself and i used this technique to keep myself calm i was saying you are in the beach, you are relaxing, you're having a nice piña colada, you're listening to good music, and you're just fine. Everything is going to be okay. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And so I was doing that technique for whatever amount of time that I was in there that they were doing the the scanning and things like that. And that helped me to relieve the panic attack. But let me tell you something that, you know, those temporary attacks, you know, th there's no medication that can help you with that at the moment, right? And if you go to, you know, have an MRI often and things like that, sometimes the doctor will give you like a, something to calm you down like a tranquilizer I guess oh, I don't know what it's called anyway but something like you know to keep you calm while you go into the machine however you know 
you have to take it like an hour before or a half an hour before. Again, the medication has to kick in. And when you're in a situation like that, and there's no time for you to take the medication and, and it kicks in in like two minutes, right? So those are some of the things I, I'm assuming the complementary health, you know, approaches are, which is, you know, the, the relaxation techniques and things like that to that effect, right? So now we're going to be talking about eating disorders. And I'm going to read a little bit about what I found on the website of National Alliance on Mental Illness. When you become so preoccupied with food and weight issues that you find it harder and harder to focus on other aspects of life, it may be an early sign of an eating disorder. Without treatment, eating disorder can take over a person's life and lead to serious, potentially fatal medical complications. Eating disorders can affect people of any age or gender, but rates are higher among women. Symptoms commonly appear in adolescents and young adults. Symptoms. Eating disorders are a group of relative conditions that cause serious emotional and physical problems. Each condition involves extreme food or weight issues. However, each has unique symptoms that separate it from the other. Anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. So number one, anorexia. People with anorexia will deny themselves food to the point of self-starvation as they obsess about weight loss. With anorexia, a person will deny hunger and refuse to eat. Practice binge eating and purging behaviors are exercised to the point of exhaustion as they attempt to limit, eliminate, or burn calories. Then we have number two, bulimia. People living with bulimia will feel out of control when binging on very large amounts of food during short periods of time and then desperately trying to rid themselves of the extra calories using force, vomiting, abusing laxative, or excessive exercising. This becomes a repeated cycle that controls many aspects of a person's life and has a very negative effect both emotionally and physically. People living with bulimia are usually normal weight or even a bit overweight. The emotional symptoms of bulimia include low self-esteem, overly linked to body image, feeling of being out of control, feeling guilty or shameful about eating with and withdrawal from friends and family. Binge eating disorder. A person with BED, which is how they have it abbreviated, loses control over their eating and eats a very large amount of food in a short period of time. They may also eat large amounts of food even when he or she isn't hungry or after he or she is uncomfortably full. This causes them to feel embarrassed, disgusted, depressed, or guilty about their behavior. A person with bed, 
binge eating disorder. After an episode of binge eating does not attempt to purge or exercise excessively like someone living with anorexia or bulimia would. A person with binge eating disorder may be normal weight, overweight, or obese. What are the causes of these conditions? Factors may be involved in developing an eating disorder includes number one, genetics, number two, environment, number three, peer pressure, number four, emotional health, their five, their age, number six, gender, number seven, family history, eight, dieting, nine, changes, and 10, vocational and activities. Okay, genetics. People with first degree relatives, siblings, or parents with an eating disorder appear to be more at risk of developing an eating disorder too. And I'm assuming that this may be the factor because they're seeing it in person, right? seeing their relative or their siblings going through these difficult eating disorders. Then we have environment, cultural pressure that idealizes a body type, uh, peer pressure about, you know, unrealistic standards, popular culture and media images of, you know, often seen only thin women in then we have environment culture pressures that idealize a particular body type place undue pressure on people to achieve unrealistic standards people who have you know the popular culture and media images of often thin people or muscular people more than anything else, right? Here are some factors that may be involved in eating disorders. Genetics, environment, peer pressure, emotional health, age, gender, family history, dieting, changes, vocations, and activities. How are people diagnosed? A person with eating disorder will have the best recovery outcome if they receive an early diagnosis. If an eating disorder is believed to be an issue, a doctor will usually perform a physical examination, conduct an interview, order lab tests. These will help form the diagnosis and check for related medical issues and complications. In addition, a mental health professional will conduct a psychological evaluation. They may ask questions about eating habits, behaviors, and beliefs. They may be questioned about patient's history of dieting, exercising, binging, and purging. And here are some treatments. Eating disorder are managed using a variety of techniques. Treatments will vary depending on the type of disorder, but will generally, but will generally include psychotherapy, such as talk therapy or behavior therapy, 
medicine such as antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. Many people living with eating disorder often have a co-occurring illness like depression or anxiety. And while there is no medications available to treat eating disorders themselves, many patients find that these medications help with underlining issues. And then we have the final one, nutritional counseling and weight restoration monitoring, which is very crucial when it comes to eating disorders, right? Because when you look at the eating disorder, it's more than just, you know, oh, they don't want to eat and things like that. When you do not eat or you overeat, it affects all your other organs, so these are some of the things that you want to look at. And again, I got this information from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If you want to take a deeper dive, I would definitely go in and look up this information. If you know someone or you see symptoms in yourself or in your children or relatives, definitely go and educate yourself on these information. And again, the website is National Alliance on Mental Illness. N-A-M-I dot org. You can also chat with them. You can go online and chat with them. Or you can even text N-A-M-I to 741-741. I love the fact that they have all these different convenient ways to help people. You can go on a hotline and talk to somebody. If you're feeling too shy, you can chat with them on your computer or you can text the person that's going to be helping you and, you know, get the information that you need, get the help that you need. And so what's most important is being able to get the help. Sometimes we allow our egos to get in the way of getting help. And then it gets to the point where you are so far gone that you're having to be admitted into the hospital or you're having to get an intervention and things of that sort, right? So again, if you are feeling that you are having one of these mental health conditions, please call 800-950-NAMI or go onto the website and chat with a professional at nami.org or you can text NAMI to 741-741. Guys, I hope this was helpful to you. I hope that it gives you more insight on someone dealing with a mental health issue. And again, you can go on their website for more information. And please be safe. Bye, guys.